Y'all done? <laughs> making sure. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to worship at Woodburn Baptist Church in the Overflow. Welcome to you, Byron Lucas. Thank you, Byron and Susie, for stepping up to lead worship in our Overflow. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 today, still in the message series entitled Red Letters. From now to Easter, we're simply sort of walking through the Gospels and paying close attention to the words that Jesus said, the red letters if you have a Bible that prints the words of Jesus in red. If you do a study of the red letters of Jesus, one of the things that you recognize very early is that there are a lot of passages like the one we're looking at this morning. Uh, a lot of what Jesus did in his ministry was confront the Pharisees, the, the hypocrites, the scribes, and teachers of, of the law. In other words, you've got to understand that in Jesus' life and ministry, uh, he ended up butting heads with the same kind of person over and over and over. His, his real enemies in the end were not the sinners, were not the people outside the temple. It was the very most religious men of the day. And the passage we read this morning uh, shows you the way that he had to confront them because of the falseness of their faith. Y'all been uh, keeping up with the stomach virus that's been coming through uh, and, and back through uh, for several months now? Uh, what do y'all think about that thing? I, I, I mean, are you against it? You, you, you got it. You got to be against it, although so many of you are celebrating it uh, over and over. It's a bad year for stomach virus. Uh, in, in all over the country, but, but in Kentucky especially. Uh, I've seen on TV news specials about this year's stomach virus. It's a, it's a brand new virus called the norovirus. Who gets to name those things? The norovirus. Uh, Dr. Richard Besser on Good Morning America says it's brand new. Uh, that means none of us have immunities to it. That's why we get it. And, and people have been getting it. It's, it's really, really bad, bad stuff this year. Uh, no one's immune to it. When you uh, are exposed to it, it takes very, very little of the virus to make you sick. I think they said like 18 particles of the virus is all it takes, and apparently that's a small number, which means almost any kind of exposure to it, you're going to get it. And symptoms come on immediately and violently, you will be turned into a, a lean, mean, regurgitating machine uh, in, in, in no time flat. This is really, really, really bad. Uh, the worst thing about it is that they say that, that this virus can live on hard surfaces, like pews and hymnals, can live on hard surfaces for 15 days. I mean, 15 days days. They also say that ordinary house cleaning, if, if somebody in your house has had it, and by now somebody in your house has had it, uh, ordinary house cleaning doesn't do it. They say you need to bleach the whole house. Like, bleach. Bleach. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. The, the, the worst part for me was that they also say that this, this virus, which probably forensic epidemiologists will determine it, it came to us from Oklahoma. Probably that's what we'll, we'll find out. Hand gel won't kill it. Now, I pretty much live my life no more than 10 feet from a bottle of hand gel at all times. Uh, I shake hands for a living, and so I take some comfort in the fact that hand gel is available. So honestly, I shake hands with all of you after this service, but as soon as you disappear, I go straight to my office and, I mean, I, I, mean, I just got to. I got to do that. I feel better knowing that I'm killing germs, but I can't kill the stomach virus with hand gel. They say the only way to, to, to somehow avoid this virus is to wash your hands with soap and water, keyword, repeatedly. 
repeatedly. I feel like I should step away right now and, and, and wash my hands. Isn't it interesting? Because some of us really think about this sort of thing, that there's, there's a word for some of us, and it's called germaphobe. We're very, very conscious of germs and very conscious of not getting any sort of physical contamination. We constantly wash our hands. We love our hand gel, and we're very aware of who's coughing around us and how we're not going to breathe their air. We're very, very uh, attuned to physical contamination. But one of the things I like to have you consider today is how different life would be if we could be as concerned about spiritual contamination. Spiritual contamination. In other words, we hardly think about the way that our hearts, that that our souls can be polluted, can be contaminated, can be infested with things that would destroy us spiritually, the things that the Bible calls sin. Uh, To understand that concern for spiritual contamination might help you begin to understand the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Uh, Let's start with his words to them and let's talk about how to become one. A Pharisee. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. It was lunch, invited him home for lunch. So he went in, Jesus went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that Jesus sat down to eat without first performing the hand washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. See, they had a rule. You had to baptize your hands. That was their word. You had to baptize your hands before you could eat. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools! Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you'll be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, sure, but do not neglect the more important things. Whoa, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yeah, what sorrow awaits you, for you're like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption that they're stepping on. The Pharisees were obsessed with not going toward anything dead. That would corrupt you. And Jesus says, you're like graves, like dead bodies buried in the ground, and and people are corrupted and don't even know when they walk over. Teacher, said an expert in religious law, you have insulted us too in what you just said. Did, Did you mean to insult us too? That's what he's saying. Yes, said Jesus. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law. For you, listen, you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you? For you build monuments for the prophets your ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets. And you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. 
As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world. From the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. Woe, what sorrow awaits you experts in religious law. For you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, but you prevent others from entering. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Guess he'll never be invited back for lunch either. If you've you've been in church very long and you've heard a lot of these sermons and passages about the Pharisees, then you probably don't understand how at home you and I would have been with these men. We're always used to when the Pharisees step onto the biblical stage, we're accustomed to thinking of them as the bad guys because they are, but they did not see themselves as bad guys at all. And for the most part, nobody else did either. In Jesus' day, they were not seen as hypocrites. They were respected. They were respected as very, very serious, very, very religious, and and very meticulous men for the faith. And God would bless us greatly if we had more men who were serious and meticulous for the faith. I'll just add that. We need more of that. But this is who the Pharisees were. You would have probably liked them a, a, a great deal. They had zeal for the Lord and a great respect for the faith and a a very strong burden for the world around them. You see, the Pharisees were the ones who looked at the culture. They looked at the way the Greek and Roman culture was, was corrupting everything that they held sacred. They saw the way that the Roman government brought in other gods, false gods, and encouraged the young people to worship false gods. And and these are men who were standing strong for the faith of the fathers and mothers. You understand that? They were very concerned with the culture, with the way the whole world seemed to be going to hell in a handbasket. And they wanted to do something about that. You would probably have stood with them in that. You would have liked the way they thought. That was their goal to somehow bring the nation, to bring their families, to bring people back to God. We would all agree with that, would we not? That's what they wanted to do. And so in order to do that, they went back to the scriptures, and you and I would agree with that. They called people back to the scriptures. And and, and so in in their mind, in their world, in their faith, they called people back to to the law, back to the law of Moses, back to the Torah. Uh, the very heart of Jewish scripture. They called people back to the kind of holiness that that God himself prescribed in in the Bible. They called people back to holiness. And of course, Moses gave basically ten guidelines for holiness. We call them the the, the ten commandments. And, And of course, they went back to the ten commandments. Of course, they did. They go straight back to what the Old Testament says about God and and, and what God requires of us. They went straight back to that. And they took it very, very seriously. Very seriously. 
Now, Jesus himself said that the whole law, everything that God said in the Old Testament could be summed up with one commandment. And what's the one commandment? Go ahead, say it. Yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor. Yeah, so uh, everything in the law, everything in the Ten Commandments, everything that God said in the Old Testament could be summed up with that basic law of love. Loving God and, and loving people. And that's what the Pharisees were, were getting back to, getting back to the law of God. That's why it's so amazing, so amazing that in all of their effort, in all of their seriousness to get back to what God said in the scriptures, it's amazing that they end up so far from loving God and loving people. How does that even happen? Well, one day a group of the Pharisees have been with Jesus. They've been listening to him teach. So one of the Pharisees invites Jesus home for lunch. Home for lunch. And so Jesus walks into the man's house and walks straight to the table, takes his place at the table. Now the Pharisee doesn't say anything. He just thinks it. But what does he think? See, he's watching Jesus. And Jesus skipped a step in the Pharisee's mind. Jesus has done something that no man who was very concerned with holiness would ever do. Jesus skipped the whole hand-washing ceremony on the way to the table. Now, I started out talking about germs and stomach virus. Surely you understand that back in the day of the Pharisees, they didn't know about germs. If you know anything about medical history, that whole germ theory, that comes much later. Back in the first century, they had no idea what made people sick. So, so understand that. Their obsession with hand washing is not really about avoiding the norovirus. They don't know about that. Hand washing isn't really about, uh, about the way your mama and grandma taught you to wash your hands so that you never get sick. That, that's not what it is. This is a spiritual ritual. And the word is baptized. They literally baptize their hands on the way to the table. Nothing to do with illness, nothing to do with physical contamination. In their minds, this is about spiritual contamination. It's about remaining free from any stain of the sin of the world. And they're assuming that, that by faithfully baptizing their hands somehow, they're fulfilling this obligation toward righteousness. Now, again, you have to wonder, how did they get there? How did they get to the point where, where what God says in the Old Testament becomes boiled down to the kind of thing like you have to wash your hands, baptize your hands before you eat? And it's not just washing your hands, people. Understand, there were rules, incredible rules for how you wash your hands, how you must baptize your hands. You must baptize your hands with your fingers up toward heaven, fingers up. And then somebody else had to pour the water over your hands. So this is sort of a group thing. This is something that others would be involved in. It sort of becomes, sort of becomes a show. I mean, it's quite a ceremony of the Pharisees over here holding their fingers up and, and watching each other and pouring water over one another's hands to baptize their hands. It's, it's something that they feel like God wants them to do. But Jesus on this particular day, the only one in the room who actually is holy, do you understand that? The only one who actually bears the holiness of God, 
He just walks right by the whole hand-washing thing, goes straight over and starts eating the chips and salsa. I mean, he just goes straight to the table and starts eating. And this Pharisee, he doesn't say anything, but he thinks it. He just thinks it. And what does he think? Jesus, Jesus didn't observe the hand-washing ceremony, so what's the assumption about Jesus? He's not a real teacher. That's what the Pharisee's thinking. This guy's not genuine. If he cared anything about God, he'd wash his hands like we do. Interesting. But he doesn't even have to say that. He just thinks it. And so Jesus answers the man's thoughts. He answers the man's heart, which sort of makes Jesus' point when you think about it. He, he answers his heart. Imagine that you are having, say, a, a late evening snack, which many of you wouldn't do, but if you were. Uh, say you're down in the kitchen, you have a two-story house, and you're in your kitchen, you're sitting at the table, and you're eating a, a skinny cow ice cream sandwich. Made that up, Okay. You're eating an ice cream sandwich, and all of a sudden, there's a drop of water that just, boop, lands on the table in front of you. A single drop of water, bloop. And then another drop of water, bloop. And you look up, and over your head at the ceiling is like a puddle of water hanging on the ceiling, and it's starting to drop water on your head. What would you do? What would you do? Would you spend your time down here just wiping the drops up as they fall, bloop? Would you do that? If you see water on the ceiling, is that, would you just spend your life down here mopping up the water as it, as it comes from the top floor? What would you do? You would go upstairs. You would want to find the source of the problem. You can't spend your time down here just mopping up the results. You've got to find the source. You've got to go upstairs and find out that your kids have plugged the bathtub and let the bathtub overflow. And you've got to go up there and pull the plug out of the bathtub and turn off the water. And you've got to, you know, spank your kids or something. You understand? You've got to get to the root, the source, the, the heart of the problem. And this is exactly what Jesus does here. It's what Jesus always does. See, the Pharisees want to talk about hand washing. The Pharisees want to talk about how, how well or not very well everybody else measures up to their standards. The Pharisees want to talk about whether or not Jesus did what they like to do when they come into a room. But the Lord said to him, verse 39, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish he talking about is he talking about the the place setting at the table is he talking about cups and saucers and dishes he's using an analogy it, it, it is he's talking about like when you wash dishes you're very careful to wash the outside of the cup you're very careful but inside you're filthy full of greed and wickedness fool What's he saying? What's he saying? He's talking about dishes, but he's not really talking about dishes. He's talking about the difference between outside and inside. If you want to talk about genuine faith, if you want to talk about pleasing God, if you want to talk about holiness, 
then you got to go to the source. And you got to understand that it is not what's outside. It's, it's what's inside that counts. Jesus answers the man's heart because Jesus always looks on the heart. Now, this is the opposite of the way the Pharisees would think. And to be really, really honest, it's opposite of the way a lot of us, a lot of us religious people think. Because we like to boil things down to behavior. When I grew up in a Baptist church, we used to have uh, tithing envelopes because we all tithe, and I still do tithe. I, I, I think tithing's important. But on our tithing envelope, you would always have these boxes you could check. Other things that you would do through the week. For example, if you read your Bible every day or brought your Bible to church, there were boxes you could check. And that was great fun to come in and check the boxes, of course. And it felt wonderful to turn in your offering envelope with all the boxes checked. You understand? Came to church, brought my Bible, tithed. Problem is... Genuine following Jesus, genuine discipleship is not so easily checked off with boxes. You understand? Oh, it has a lot to do with behavior. I'm not saying that you can live any way that you want, but I'm simply saying that to constantly talk about behavior, simply to try to make rules that govern behavior, it never gets to the heart of the matter. It's what's inside that counts. So the Pharisees had reached the point where they somehow imagined that if they just made enough rules, and you've got to understand, they were sincere. They weren't trying to be hypocrites. They wanted to be holy. Some of these men literally, literally made blinders like you'd put on a mule. They would wear blinders when they walked down the street. Why would they wear blinders? So they wouldn't look at women in shorts. They would wear blinders so that they wouldn't look up and notice a woman. They were trying to deal with their lust problem. You understand? These guys are serious. They're serious. So when they look at the Ten Commandments, gosh, there are Ten Commandments, but how easy it might be to break one of those without even meaning to. I mean, if you're serious about following God, then you get very, very meticulous about making sure that you're following the rules. So what the Pharisees did was what they call building a fence around the law. They put rules on top of the rules. And they just made more and more rules, figuring that if you kept all the rules, then you'd be holy. What's the flaw in this thinking? You can't keep all the rules. And all of the rules in the world will not change your heart. Do you understand? Rules can't change your heart. They think that clean hands somehow equals a clean heart. And Jesus says, you fellas don't understand. You can wash the outside of the cup all you want, but the inside remains filthy. And it's it's what's inside that counts. My old pastor used to say, and I love this, God will use a broken vessel, vessel like a cup, you understand? God will use a a broken vessel, and God will use a bent vessel, but God will not use a dirty vessel. You Pharisees, Jesus said, you are meticulously scrubbing the outside, but it's the inside that matters, and inside you are full of wickedness. 
He's talking to the religious guys, the most religious men of the day. The men who knew the most about the Bible, the men who knew all of the rules, and the ones at the temple who, who made sure that everything went well. I mean, these were the very backbone of everything that happened in the religion of the day. How is it that Jesus can single them out for this kind of judgment, this kind of word? I guess the real question is, how did they get to this place? How did they get to the place where, where the only thing they want to do is serve and please God, and then when God in the flesh comes and stands right in front of them, they don't even recognize him. They're so concerned about the holiness of God, but when Christ in his holiness is right in front of them, they think he's not holy. As a matter of fact, they think he's less holy than they are. How do you get to that point? How do you reach the point where in trying to, to please God, in trying to serve God, in trying to keep all of the rules, how do you get to the point where you end up breaking all of the rules? Well, let's just look. Let's just look. Look at the Pharisees. This is kind of how it happens. Verse 38. Notice the host. Host was amazed to see that Jesus sat down without baptizing his hands. What's interesting about that? This man is obsessed with what others are doing. You see that? He's kind of the, the hand-washing police. He, he's kind of the enforcer. Somehow in his mind, somehow in his heart, he has made it his job to police the religious behavior of all the people around him. Now, we all have a concern for the way the world seems to be sliding further and further into sin. It breaks my heart. It really does. I, I can't stand to see the way the world just casually embraces what we cannot embrace, what the world casually calls good, what we cannot call good, according to Scripture. It breaks my heart. And I am a preacher of the word and a preacher of the gospel. And I want to preach the truth and, and I want to preach God's word. But, but somewhere there's a line that we cross when we begin to think that, that we become the judge of other people's hearts. There's a line we cross when we begin to become a lot more interested in fixing everybody else than in taking care of the wickedness in our own hearts. That there's something profoundly wrong with you or me when we're much more interested in the splinter in our sister's eye than in the plank in our own eye. Jesus said that, by the way. Something profoundly wrong when you can see other people's sins, but you can't see your own. Maybe that's the first step in this slide that the Pharisees have taken. Maybe the first step is when you become obsessed with other people's sins and blind to your own. Do you understand? If you have better vision to see your spouse's shortcomings in your own, there's something wrong with you, sir. Something wrong with you, man. If you have that ability to know what everybody else in the church ought to be doing, but you don't seem to understand how very cold and wicked your heart has become, there's something seriously, seriously wrong with you. It's exactly what happened to the Pharisees. No longer see the sin inside themselves, but they can see everybody else's sin from a mile away in the fog. There's something wrong, something profoundly spiritually wrong when you become much more tuned into other people's sins than your own. 
as believers, it's a simple way of life. We are always coming before the Holy Spirit and, and asking Him to examine us, to search our hearts. I mean, are we not? I, I do want to be pure before the Lord. I, I, I do. And I'd like to see everybody be pure before the Lord. But, but honestly, I'll work on you guys after me and the Holy Spirit are finished with me. And it's going to take us a long time. You, you understand? I have to worry about the sin in my own heart. The fact that I'm a pastor, the fact that on the outside I can make things look very good, it doesn't mean that the inside is not profoundly corrupt. The Holy Spirit wants me to look at the inside. Jump down to verse 42 with me. Jesus is in the series of woes. What sorrow awaits you? What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees? You're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. Yeah. This is an example. It's an example from the Pharisees' day. We'll have our own examples, of course. It's an example of, of religious people who begin to focus on very small things, making very small things very important. Now, Jesus isn't saying that these guys shouldn't tithe. But they become obsessed with tithing even what comes out of their herb garden. So let's say they've got a field of mint, and mint just populates everything if you've ever had any. It spreads everywhere. And so they're out there counting stems. Seriously. They count stems to make sure that a tenth of every mint plant gets taken back to God, given back to God. They count stems. Of, of plants in their garden to make sure that a tent always goes back to God. They are meticulous, meticulous. Very, very small things take a great place in their heart. But Jesus says while you're focusing on these tiny little things, and they're not necessarily bad things, it's just that they're not supposed to be the biggest things. While you're out there counting stems of herbs, you've forgotten to love people. And you've forgotten the value of the justice and love of God. You've managed to focus like a laser on the tiniest little religious things. And you're missing everything that's important and big in the kingdom of God. The love and justice of God. It's, it's amazing and heartbreaking how true this is of most of us. I mean, honestly. Since most of us are regular churchgoers, we become very obsessed about church, like what happens in this room. And we want it to be just right, and the definition of just right would be just right for me. You understand? We become obsessed over church and the way things happen at church. Brother Tim, why don't you preach a sermon on what people ought to wear to church? You know, I was asked that once. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what biblical passage would you recommend, you know, for that one? Or would you rather I just preach out of Glamour magazine? I mean, understand? You might get all bent out of shape about what people wear to church, but I promise you, God's not bent out of shape about that. If he was very bent out of shape, there would be a, a fashion spread in the center of the Bible. It's just not there. But it's there for you, and you focus on very, very small things. And you make small things big things. Big things. There was a very, very enthusiastic Christian young man who kept encountering Amish neighbors uh, out at the market. And he just really wondered if those Amish were really Christians. 
just wondering, because they looked so different, and, and he knew that they were different, and just didn't really know what the Amish believed. So one day this young man got up his courage, and there was an elderly Amish man standing there on the sidewalk, and decided just to ask him. So he went up to the Amish man and said, Sir, I just want to ask you a question. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Are you saved? The Amish man said, Why do you ask me such a thing? Why do you ask me such a thing? I could tell you anything. But think about what he's saying. Why do you ask me such a thing? I could tell you anything. If you want to know if I'm a Christian, here is the name of my banker. And here is the name of the man from whom I buy all of my seed. And here are the names of all of my neighbors. If you want to know if I am a Christian, ask them. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying what Jesus said. You, you, you focus on these small things, but you neglect the big things, the love and justice of God. In other words, genuine faith always has this way of expressing itself in the way you relate to other people, the way you treat other people. The Pharisees were very, very good at following the rules that they themselves got to write. They weren't very good at loving people. Some of y'all have been in churches a long time. Have you met those church people? The church people who keep all the rules, but the church people that nobody can stand to be around? You ever met those people? Brother Tim, I hope you understand why I'm saying this. I, I, I'm just honest. I just like to be honest. No, you're just mean. You know, it's not honesty. It's not honesty. You're just mean. You, you know those people? Just mean. Told you before about Happy Girl. We used to go out of our way to go to the Chick-fil-A behind Rivergate Mall because of one woman who worked there. We called her Happy Girl. I don't know what her name was. She's the happiest girl I ever met in my life. I mean, I would eat a chicken sandwich just to get it from her. She had a smile a mile wide, and it never turned off, and it was the most genuine happiness. We loved Happy Girl. We had milkshakes. We had chicken biscuits. We'd get anything just to see Happy Girl. You understand? This is a woman at work, and she's happy girl. Now, I'm just thinking, the people you work with, they may have a nickname for you. I'm not sure it'd be happy girl. Now, that's what we call Matt Betts around here, but, but, but I'm wondering about you. You understand? It's going to come out in the way you treat people. Really want to know if you're a Christian? I could ask you. You could tell me anything. So why don't we just ask your family, is this a man who walks with God? What if we just ask the people you work with, is this a person through whom the fruit of the Spirit are, are, are exemplified every day? I mean, why don't we just ask the people around you? We could ask them, and they could tell us. It's probably a better way to measure your faith than if we just asked you, because honestly, you and I, we could tell people anything. But somehow the truth always comes out in our lives. What's inside always manages to make its way to the outside. And this is what Jesus is trying to say. you got to deal with your hearts. you got to deal with your hearts. One more. Let's do one more. 
Verse 46, Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? For you crush people with unbearable religious demands. You're crushing people. The, the Pharisees always do. Pharisees always do. They have a way of making religion, of making, in our case, making the church a very difficult place to get along. And we make it very, very difficult. We make it harder for people. And notice what Jesus says there. You have a way, you don't enter the kingdom yourselves, but you prevent others from entering. You don't let other people come to Christ, but you just stand there in the way. You block the way with your life. This is what the Pharisees always do. You crush people with unbearable religious demands. You see, these are experts in religious law. So they read the Bible a lot. And so they were always there to interpret it for other people. So you go back to the Ten Commandments, and one of those is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work, but the seventh day is to be kept holy before the Lord. That's one of the Ten Commandments. That's there. Honor the Sabbath. But see, the Pharisees wanted to make sure that you honored the Sabbath, so they make rules on top of rules. You see, crushing you with a burden of rule keeping. So they go so far to say, okay, you can't work on the Sabbath, so that means you probably shouldn't Spit, which I just did. You shouldn't spit on the Sabbath. Now, why would they say that? Because spitting could be work. How is spitting work? Well, if you spit in the dust and you move dust, that's plowing. Moving dirt is plowing. So if you spit on the ground and dirt moves, you've plowed, and therefore you've worked and you're a sinner. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crush people with burdens of rules if you can't work on the sabbath they would say then therefore you can't carry anything in your hands on the sabbath so therefore i wouldn't be able to carry this bible because that would be working can't carry anything in your hands uh, which would make life very difficult on the sabbath but but then you know the lawyers they're pretty good so they say you can't carry it in your hands that would be work but you may carry it on the back of your hands yeah they added that so this is work, this is not. Pretty good, huh? Or they also, I don't have to make this stuff up, I mean, life is like this. They also said, if you could carry it between your elbows, that wouldn't be work either. So this is me not working, understand? This is not work. They also said, you know, to do this, carry it in your hands, that would be work, but if you just want to, if you carry it in your shirt, stick it in your shirt, that wouldn't be work. Carry it in your shirt. They also said you could carry something in your wallet as long as the mouth of the wallet, you know what I mean, like the open part of the wallet, as long as the mouth was facing down. Put something in your wallet, as long as the mouth is facing down, then you can carry your wallet on the Sabbath. That, that wouldn't necessarily be work. You could also carry something in your hair. Not work, you see, in your hair. They also said that if you wanted to, you could carry something in your mouth. Or in your shoe, you could put it in your shoe. Understand? It went on and on and on. So what does the average person do when they hear the Pharisees and teachers of religious law explain what you have to do to be right with God? They just give up. And that's why Jesus says you crush people. You crush people with your demands and your burdens. You, 
You, you carry the good news of God like it is this joyless burden. And you don't do anything to help people come on in. You block the door with your life. I, I guess that's probably one of the signs that you're slipping into being a Pharisee. It's that subtle shift in your heart when the gospel, the, the good news of God in Christ, the, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, the good news of his Holy Spirit in our hearts changing us to be more like him every day, the, the good news of being set free to love people and to love God and live freely like that. When that good news becomes to you a heavy burden, when your faith in Christ becomes a, a joyless, unhappy kind of burden to bear, it's probably a sign that something's wrong with your heart. The good news of Jesus is not supposed to be a heavy burden. What's the opposite of Pharisee then? What's the opposite of Pharisee? I, I don't know. I, I've struggled with this one. Um, the Pharisees had this way of making it difficult for everybody else, but then they had their own loopholes, you understand? They got to make the rules, and so they tended to make the rules in such a way where they always came out on top. Pharisees do that. Pharisees, when they take over a church, that's what they do. That They make all the rules, but they make the rules so that they always win. So let's just sort of agree as Woodburn Baptist Church, just sort of agree that we never want to be a church where the Pharisees win. I don't ever want to be the church where the Pharisees win. I don't ever want to be a church where we crush people with unnecessary religious burdens. I don't ever want to be the church that, that won't necessarily enter the kingdom of God, but, but stands and blocks the door with our own hypocritical lives. I don't want to be that man. Maybe the opposite of Pharisee is just, uh, I don't know, a, a genuine disciple. In the words of Kyle Eidelman, it's a difference between being a fan and a follower. Maybe the ones whose hearts are right are the ones who see Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, the Holy One, and, and they take up their cross and follow him. It, it, it is costly. It's, it's, it's personally demanding. Maybe the difference between the faith of the Pharisee and the faith of the real believer is that the faith of the Pharisee never changes him on the inside. But when you truly meet Christ, give your life to him. Allow him to give you his righteousness. It does change you. It changes you inside and out. Inside. And out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the only one who can see and answer our hearts. Lord, it is a fairly easy thing to fool our parents. It is a fairly easy thing to fool the teachers at school. It is a fairly simple thing to fool our children. 
It is a fairly simple thing to fool the people at church. It is a fairly simple thing to act religious when it suits us. It is a different thing altogether, Lord Jesus, to follow you every day with our lives, to give our hearts to you. Jesus, I just pray that you would look upon our hearts and that you would call out, Lord, from us, genuine disciples. Lord, let none of us be fooled by religious talk or by religious rules or by religious habits, Lord. Help us to understand that religious habits can't save us, that religious rules can't change our hearts, that keeping all the rules doesn't make us holy. Lord Jesus, only you can make us holy, and you do that by changing our hearts. Look upon our hearts, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, convict us of our sins. Show us what's inside of us that needs to be taken out, Lord. Show us our sin that we might confess and be made righteous and holy, Lord. Show us our sin. Help us, Lord, not to focus on the people around us, Focus only on you, Lord Jesus. Lord, once we get into the church and once we learn how the game is played, it becomes very easy to substitute going to church for, for following you. And some of us, Lord, have forgotten the difference between the two. Help us, Lord, not to think that just because we have come to church today, that we have worshipped. Help us not to think that just because we've come to church that we've somehow earned something. Or Jesus, let us not come into this house without paying attention to what you say to us. Speak to our hearts now, Lord Jesus. Show us what we need to do in order to follow you wholeheartedly. We pray in your precious name. Amen.